Good morning, and welcome to episode 193 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh with Sam Miller. It is Wednesday, so it's email show Wednesday. Uh, You sent us emails. We are now going to read and answer them in accordance with the the email show. Uh, Was that the first hua in the show's history? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I don't even actually know technically what hua is. I think it's supposed to denote excitement, excited agreement. Yeah, I guess. All right. Okay. Let's uh, do emails. You want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. I'll just—they're all pretty quick, so we can probably knock out a whole lot of them. Um, let's just fly through them. Hmm. All right. So this is from a gentleman named Mike in Fairfax who actually says this is a quick one here to what extent should pickoff throws be accounted for when thinking about pitch counts granted it's less stressful than a maximum effort pitch but it seems like it should play into the calculus should it count as a half pitch three-fifths mike uh so my first thought is that it shouldn't count as anything yeah because it's not um it really isn't a it, it's it's just nothing like a pitch it doesn't you don't get your whole body into it it's i mean it's not just not max effort it's uh it's almost no effort mm-hmm. uh relative to, i mean it would be if you and i did it like for us to throw uh <laughs> to first base uh is not that different than for us to throw a pitch to home mm-hmm. but i mean if you really look at what pitchers do on pitches to home it it really is like a, a very complicated machine all working together at full effort um and uh, so I think that that's um, it, it's hard to compare the exhaustion of of that move to uh, to one to first. But since he asks for uh, a number, um, and I guess technically zero is probably not a great answer. If you really if, if you want to be perfectly precise, you might say some number. Uh, do you have a number? Um, I mean, my inclination was also zero. Uh, it's just. So much less physically stressful and also less mentally stressful. I mean, there's just no no real pressure associated with it. Um, I mean, I guess you could throw it away. So maybe that worries you a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't count it. Uh, so if a guy threw 400 pickoff throws, <laughs> though. Yeah, okay. Uh, yes. If... Yes, there is there is some number of pickoff throws at which I guess it would become a concern. Um, I guess it would be maybe like, I guess in a in the course of one at bat, if a guy threw over the first let's say twenty times, maybe I would start to think that that could possibly affect his next pitch. All right, so I'm gonna say uh, twelve pickoffs to the pitch. So. If uh, if he has a pitch count of a hundred and he's thrown 12, 12 pickoff throws, I would I would credit him for a hundred and one. <laughs> and since since pitch count science is so um, unprecise to begin with, it's uh, it's almost impossible to imagine the situation where I think that would change my decision. Um, but yeah, I'd say somewhere between eight and twelve per pitch. Okay. All right. I would say more than that. Uh... All right. Uh, Matt in San Francisco asks, Doug Thorburn wrote in his article yesterday about how John Farrell has had a tremendous impact on the resurgence of John Lester and Clay Buchholz. 
If this is true, then why did the Blue Jays let him go to their interdivision rival for Mike Avilas? It seems as though uh, Avilas. It seems as though the effect Farrell would have on the Red Sox may have been overlooked by the Jays' management. If the Red Sox win the division and the Jays miss the playoffs, or if the Red Sox cause the Jays to miss the playoffs, could this be a fireable offense? Maybe that's a big, uh, a bit extreme, but it seems as though this is a big oversight. So I think that if uh, you're trying to figure out how likely it is that John Farrell is the reason that the Red Sox are going to beat the Jays this year, there's two things. There's two. There's two factors. One is what are the odds that what you've seen from the Red Sox, and particularly Lester and Buckholtz and, and maybe even Dempster, can be credited to Farrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I I got ahead of myself. What are the odds that those things are real? Um, as opposed to just early season mirages. Um, and second is, what are the odds that if it is real, it's related to Farrell? And my guess at this point is I, I would guess that there's maybe a, like a 20 or 30% chance that what we're seeing is tr- a true leap forward rather than just uh, a statistical anomaly. Uh, and of the 30%, I would guess that maybe it's a 20% chance that I would credit it to Farrell specifically. So you're talking about a 1 in 16 chance that this is Farrell uh, who is the difference. I mean, I'm not saying that Farrell is not generally a good manager and might also be uh, you know, a, a key factor in the Red Sox success. But I mean, if you're looking at it from the Blue Jays' perspective, um, they didn't think that Farrell was a very good manager, apparently. And they would certainly have some insight into that. So if you think that he's not a good manager, you probably don't mind too much if he goes to your division rival um, and does bad managing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it doesn't really bother me. I mean, I, I, I tend to think that, like, for instance, the interdivision trade uh, embargo is sort of weird. If you think that the trade is a good trade for you, then it's probably a bad trade for your opponent and you should be thrilled. Um, and it's specifically the way that, um, you know, that people sometimes react when the trade doesn't go well and make it a bigger deal because it's a division rival. I think that probably makes teams a bit averse to them or GMs a bit averse to them because they don't want to have people saying that such a move is a fireable offense. But I wouldn't call this one a fireable offense. No, neither would I. I, I mean, and you don't you don't want a manager who is kind of, has one foot out the door or or I mean has some interest in in working for another team I would guess right I mean you would prefer to have a guy who is kind of committed and is not really pulled in multiple directions and just you want you want your team to be his first choice I guess right I mean does that enter into well, the, the consideration y- at all? I mean, you'd, yeah, it does. Like if a guy wants hand. to leave, I mean, not that he's going to throw the season or anything if he had stayed, but uh, I mean, I don't know if a guy wants to leave and maybe he feels like he has a job waiting for him if things don't go well where he is. And I don't know, maybe maybe he puts a little less effort in or he's a little less committed or invested in the team that he's with, possibly. Yeah, that seems fair. Although, also, um, if you have a guy who, I mean, if, like, let's say he's hot in demand and you have the rights to him, I mean, that's an asset. Mm-hmm. And you should, um, I mean, that maybe might be something that would excite a lot of teams to know that you've locked in a guy who could go elsewhere. But, I mean, yeah, if clearly if he's unhappy or is, you know, specifically going to be less happy where he is, then he presumably has more value to another 
you know, another situation and you should cash that out, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it just, it, I, who, who really, I mean, John Farrell had no reputation for being a super genius. He was a, a fine manager who one team wanted. And well, I mean, um, I guess it's just the, 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 the narrative that supposedly he would come back and fix those couple pitchers who had struggled because he was with them when they were coming up and he would have some special insight into them yeah. and, and they are maybe kind of a, I mean, they're certainly important to the Red Sox, and and if the Blue Jays thought that there was any significant chance that he could turn those guys around and, and make them top of the rotation starters again, uh, yeah. then that would certainly make him more valuable than the typical manager, probably, and, and, yeah. and more of a, a risk for them to let him go to a division rival, so... Yeah, it is a special case. So I, I wouldn't totally disregard the question at all. I think it's a fine question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, I just have a hard time thinking, like giving full credit to the Red Sox impending World Series championship uh, to whatever John Farrell, you know, said to Clay Buckholtz in spring training. It, it just mm-hmm. seems like this, uh, it's a complicated sport. There's a lot of factors. And uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I would have a hard time blaming them the blue jays too much for 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 whatever role this one is mm-hmm. uh all right um so let's see uh dustin says in light of anibal sanchez's eight inning 17 strikeout domination of the braves on friday i made the offhand comment to some friends that i didn't believe this would be the last time this season that my favorite team would fan at least 17 times i was met with some ridicule and i fully realize this number of k's is far from a common occurrence but i don't think it's an outlandish prediction considering the braves roster and its collective proclivity for going down on strikes so uh i i also don't think it's ridiculous at all and and um in fact i i, I don't know that i would I would I would think that there's maybe something like a one in three or a one in four chance that the Braves strike out 17 times this year. Yeah, we in another game. We should have done some math. I did. Oh, you did. A little bit. Okay. Very simple. I I didn't I I shouldn't say I did math. I did I counted. Uh-huh. Um, so there have been 104 games in Major League history with 17 strikeouts per game, uh, 17 strikeouts on one side in a nine inning game. So that's about one per year. But half of those have come since 1999. And, of course, as you would expect, it's accelerating. There were seven last year, seven the year before, five the year before that. So basically one in five in Major League history have come in the last three years. So that's 17, which is what Sanchez had. The Braves struck out 18. Uh, Those are about half as common, but they've accelerated at about the same rate. Um, And there were seven. There have been seven in the last two years. And the Braves really are a, a, a strikeout-prone team. Um, so, uh, like right now, they're just about on pace to match the the 2010 Diamondbacks, who have the record. So, um, you know, I think if you figure seven is something like the true expectation per year for the last couple of years, maybe you bump that to eight this year, mm-hmm. then you expect about one out of four teams to to do it every year and you would expect a team like the Braves to be especially likely so maybe you bump them up to you know if, if every team were like uh, were like the Braves then maybe you'd expect one every two years or even slightly more than that and uh, the fact that the Braves have done it once doesn't make him any less likely to do it again so with almost a full year to play I'd give him you know not quite even odds but something close to even odds at another 17 strikeout game not from one pitcher um, because the odds aren't nearly as good that one pitcher will stay in that length of time, but for an entire game. So my favorite, when I wrote about Philip uh, Umber, my favorite 
fact from that piece uh, was looking at the extreme strikeout era. And um, in 2012, there were 1,100 games in which one team struck out at least 10 times. So 1,100 in 2012. There were 700 games that matched that description in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. So 50% more in 2012 than in the 20s, 30s, and 40s combined. Well, good research. Crazy, crazy, right? We don't have we don't even have a, a crack podcast research team pulling these things for us. No, do it all on our own time, free time. Mm-hmm. We do it on our free time. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. I guess. Would you feel bad if we entered if we answered the the AAA team and the Marlins and Astros question? Because I know that you have felt bad about that topic in the past. No, I wouldn't feel bad, but I've, I actually I read this a few days ago, and I haven't looked at it. I forgot about it, so I don't have anything to add. But yeah, let's do it. Yeah, okay. I, I haven't really thought about it either. Uh, this is from Mark in Tacoma, Washington. This weekend, the Cubs have a four-game series against the Marlins, which is about as bad as MLB gets since the Marlins don't play the Astros this year. As a Cubs fan, that's a shame, by the way, that the Astros don't play the Marlins. Uh, as a Cubs fan, I'm happy about this series because they finally have a competition that's at their level. That got me wondering, is there a AAA team that is actually better than an MLB team? I'm not thinking of a team whose AAA affiliate is actually better than they are. I think we can assume that's not the case anywhere, though I'm not totally convinced that the starting lineup, but not the pitching for the Tacoma Rainiers isn't better than the Mariners. I'm thinking of a triple A. Oh yeah, the Mariners. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I'm, I'm thinking of a triple A team that has a good record and is part of a good organization like the Durham Bulls with the Rays. Could they be better than the Marlins or Astros? Probably not. But would a triple A All Star team be better than the Marlins or the Astros? Or thinking about it another way, would the Astros or Marlins? Uh, how would the Astros or Marlins do in the International League or the PCL? First place, I assume, but by how much? Didn't we both plan on writing this article last year? Uh, I know you did. I, I did something similar to this once that I don't even remember what it was now. But, um, yeah, I, I know you thought about it, and I, I may have thought about it. Uh, it's a fun topic, and I think, I think if you, I mean, if you go by the the BP replacement level, I think mm-hmm. is 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 above what we projected these teams to be or uh no, no not what we not what we projected right but replacement levels like 50 isn't it higher i don't think it is i i think it's like 48 or 50 i think i i think i just looked at this oh, okay uh which would mean that it, I, we didn't project either of these teams to be below that but certainly either team could uh, end up below that mm-hmm. and well i mean and and teams have ended up below that uh, so it's, it's possible. And I guess that, I mean, that certainly suggests that uh, if you're talking about uh, a comparison to a triple all-star team, then I guess the, I mean, the worst teams in history would be worse than that team. I don't think though that it's fair to say that a triple a team is replacement level. Cause I know that replacement level generally 
uh, mirrors the level of talent that you can call up from AAA. But it also includes the um, type of sort of uh, waiver bait that you can get, the Casper Wellses of the world, the the you know the the player the, maybe the the veterans in Double A. I mean, it's it's not just taking, it's not it's not a saying that every player in Triple A and every team in Triple A is is replacement level. It's saying that in the world exists these options, and these options aren't limited to Triple A, and therefore Triple uh, uh, A on its own would would theoretically be below this i mean this is a question that i think uh this question gets asked in various forms in every sport and at, at most levels you'll hear about you know could uh you know could could alabama beat the chiefs or could the you know x men's team beat the wnba x team or whatever like there's this Oh, there's always a desire to compare, and, and it almost always, when you're comparing the levels, the uh, the you know pros against college or or whatever, it almost always ends up being not nearly as close as you think it would be. Mm-hmm. I think, and my suspicion is that it's not as close as we think it would be in this case. Now, baseball is a is a different is a different animal, and it might be closer than we think it is, but um, I think that you would have to go. To you would have to create some sort of AAA All Star team uh, before you could beat even the Marlins or the right. Astros, well, well, or, I mean, or he, maybe he didn't yeah. include that in his question. So, he did, yes, yeah. he did, and I think that. I mean, I think I don't think there's much doubt that it. Well, I don't know. I think there, I don't think there's much doubt that a um, that a uh, minor league All Star team that if you put together your very best minor league team mm-hmm. um, from across all the levels um, that they would beat they would be able to beat the Marlins and or the Astros. I personally don't think there's much doubt about that, but I think that you would probably have to get My guess is at least a four team super team together at the AAA level before you could beat either one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, originally when I was thinking about this last year, I wanted to see how, how far down you could make this plausible. If a, for instance, if a high a all-star team could beat, uh, the Astros. And I kind of have, come away from that idea i i probably think that that it's not nearly as realistic as you think it would be yeah i i doubt that i i think i remember on an up and in episode uh kevin and jason talking about whether the the best college team like a world series college world series winner could beat a, a low level minor league team um like a bad low level minor league team and and i think they concluded that that the the college team would just get destroyed Mm-hmm. Uh, just by a, an all-professional team, um, because even a even a really good college team has a lot of people who just don't get drafted. They're just not even good enough to play on on a, a bad professional team. Um, the 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 thing about that though is that the pitcher is like forty percent of the game uh-huh. or thirty percent of the game or something like that, and a a really good college senior mm-hmm. could. Absolutely. I mean, you see college seniors occasionally in like the Pioneer League, and they just absolutely destroy it, and not even the best ones. Yeah. So I could see, uh, I could see college pitchers, you know, throwing no hitters in the Pioneer League. But, but the point generally, yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, depth is a huge part of the game that you, uh, that usually gets overlooked in these sorts of experiments. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, the, all right. So yeah, the All Star team then could beat them, but. A, but but the best single team could not. Yeah, that's what I think. Okay. 
Um, but of course, it's a really easy thing to run, and one of these days we'll do it. I mean, it probably wouldn't take more than two hours for one of us to actually put this together, right? Yeah, I guess so. All right. Uh, so Bobby asks a question about last week when uh, I came out in support of a uh, innings to runs per start ratio stat sort of a thing, mm-hmm. where like you would uh, you would basically phrase the players' stats in the um, to the scale of of an average start you know Mm -hmm. so like cliff lee's average start would be 7.1 innings and you know six hits and two run 2.2 runs and whatever and so he uh fights back and says um i like the idea but it feels like a part measure if we're going to improve let's dream bigger replace the ra with something that makes more sense um if you're going to look at innings per start look at durability i'd rather take someone who goes 6.1 on average but takes every turn on the hill over someone who can go seven but misses starts which is a very good point i have no problem with that point point. and the third one i guess really what i'm getting at is maybe it's better to have a counting stat than a rate stat something like pitching runs prevented but isn't that what war is and so i think that i just I, i'm reading this because i i want to restate the case for why I, I like this idea yes it will not do as much as war does that's the point of war or warp it's uh, those are supposed to be kind of all-inclusive and if you can make them even more complete then you tweak it to make it even more complete it is essentially as complete as you can make it at any given time and therefore it is going to make every other stat uh, less complete and therefore kind of less good but um, you, we still have lots of other things we look at because it's important also to to be able to describe the player and to know um, to, to, to put the player's performance in a perspective that's relatable and that describes their style and shows their strengths and weaknesses within that you know one number. And so the reason that I like this, and I don't know that it would work uh, initially this way, but I think over the course of time it, it, it would if people got used to it, is that it's just really relatable to look at a player's pitching line and to to envision what he did in that in that game, it's I mean everybody can look at a box score, look at what the pitcher did, and decide whether it was a good start or a bad start. And the more you look at a pitcher um, using that framework, I think the more you would get a good sense of um, the nuances between different pitchers. So, I like like I don't think that this would be the thing that replaces uh, warp, or that would even necessarily be the thing that replaces ERA, but um, it would be, I think, a, a, it would be a really intuitive way of capturing um, the picture in a way that is just really relatable and that people would understand uh, exactly what it means. So mm-hmm. that's all. That's all. Okay. Um, it's not even my idea. I don't know why I'm so defensive. <laughs> You're very attached to it, though. <laughs> uh, okay. Last one, I guess. This is very quick, and I just want to enter it because this is from. Uh, Juan, who is in Panama City, and I, I like Panama City. Uh, I was there a couple of years ago, and I, I enjoyed my time there. So, Did you get a hat? Uh, no, I did not. That would have been a cliche. Uh, so he says, Sam, Ben, uh, we've all heard of superstar players. We've also all heard of Hall of Fame players. Uh, Hall of Fame question, very timely. At what point is a superstar player implicitly a Hall of Fame player? Phrased differently, can you reasonably be a Hall of Fame level player without being a superstar player? I realize that length of career has some bearing on the issue. You can be a superstar for five years, say, and then have your career derailed due to injuries. 
but I've been wondering about the relationship between superstar status and Hall of Fame status and would like to hear your thoughts on the matter. Uh, well, I mean, I, this is, I guess, why something like Jaws, uh, Jay Jaffe's system for for determining who should be in the Hall of Fame has both a, a career component and a peak component. Um, you you want someone who has a long career and a valuable career, but you also want someone who was among the best players in the game at, at his peak for, for some period of time. Uh, I think Jay uses seven years. Um, I guess you can, I mean, you can, you can be a Hall of Fame level player without being a superstar if for some reason you were extremely unrelated uh, or uh, underrated during your career. I guess if we're, if we're defining superstar as, as I don't know, popularity or, or Q rating or something, um, and you just happen to be a, a Ben Zobrist type who, for whatever reason, wasn't, wasn't all that well known or celebrated, but was kind of a, a superstar level player. Um, then yes, I guess so. Although you probably wouldn't have the greatest chance to get in if you weren't even appreciated while you were playing. Um, but I mean, I I think you you have to have played at that level for a while. I would think. Uh, I, I guess I don't know. I'm trying to think of who the best example of of someone who was never a superstar level player and and made the Hall of Fame or. I don't know, I, I, or or is a good candidate, I guess, like a Rafael Palmero type. Um, I don't know if he was if he was superstar level for a time. Maybe I guess so. Um, but I don't know. You you need to you need to be both. I think. Yeah, I think um, both things are social constructs. Neither one is actually a, a you know a, a a defined thing. They both kind of uh they get defined by other people and the 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 venn diagram would i think have a huge amount of overlap between them and probably the space where they differ would be longevity i think of superstar uh mostly in terms of what kind of support they get in awards voting and i think of hall of fame obviously as what kind of support they get in the hall of fame and i think there's a little bit of room for a player like craig biggio uh, who is um, who you know s- distinguishes himself to some degree by uh, longevity and probably also by I-, I think that probably I don't know this but my guess is that even though there's a kind of positional bias in the Hall of Fame against I, I think second baseman and third baseman I would suspect that historically there's maybe even been a more significant bias against them in MVP voting um, so. Uh, but I mean, you know, both you take a guy like Bobby Gritch, mm-hmm. who if you take away um, what you know about the writers and what they voted, if you just look at his stats and you don't know anything else, you would say superstar player, yes, Hall of Fame player, yes. Right. And then you, you look over at his awards voting and you realize, well, I guess he wasn't a superstar because he never got any MVP votes. Mm-hmm. And then you look at his Hall of Fame voting and you say, I guess he wasn't a Hall of Fame voter because he got booted after uh, a Hall of Fame player because he got booted after one year. Um, so I, I just think both things are, um, you know, they're constantly being redefined a little bit here and there, but mostly they are synonyms. How good would a guy's, uh, let's say you have a player who, let's say he, he peaks at, at a three win season, but he's worth 
three wins for like 20 seasons in a row. Right. Or like, 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 if, that. like he's, if Starling, if Starling Castro never got better, but he also right, played, but he's he was just 42. this good until he's, yeah. I mean, there is, there is a point at which I would put that guy in if he's, I mean, if he's a, if he's a three win player until he's 50 years old or something, but he was never better than that. I, I'd probably put that guy in. Would you? Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I probably would. Sure. I probably would put that guy in. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Who is that? Who is that guy? Is that Andy Pettit? <laughs> I don't think that is guy that, exists really, but. That that might be Andy Pettit. Uh, yeah. Andy Pettit had better seasons than that, I think. Yeah. I mean, obviously nobody's done exactly that, right. but, uh, let me think. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think because Andy Pettit has, has had basically one year over a 135 ERA plus, but yeah, you're right. He's had better seasons than that. Yeah. So he had a eight, he had an eight win season in 1997, like yeah. eight win, like, like eight wins mm-hmm. of a replacement right. and a seven and a six. So, yeah. but otherwise he's got a lot of threes and a lot of twos of his, of his 18 seasons, like 14 of them are between two and 3.8. Mm-hmm. But very consistently not bad. Which very is, consistently not bad. Which is good. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, maybe like a... I don't, eh, no, I was going to say Vizquel, but he's not even that good. Um, I, can, I, can, I can't even... People actually talk about Vizquel as like a Hall of Fame candidate. I don't get it. Do you see any, any real argument for that? Um, that none of this matters and people like him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a good one. Uh, okay, so there's there is some level at which you could be, uh, you could you could never be a superstar and be a Hall of Fame level player. Then you would have to have incredible longevity, probably more longevity than than any player has ever had. Longevity and consistency. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. We're done. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another wonderful episode.